but our, our goal was to connect with kids and to, um, make sure they felt seen and to, um, to carry on learning the best that we could that was good enough for now. But, you know, teachers always want to do it better. Um, and so we got to a point where they were working in small groups and they were pulling out specific differentiated activities for kids using the resources of the team. Welcome to all of you. If you are a returning listener, as always, I really appreciate your time and energy and for tuning into any episode that you can. And if you are a new listener, thank you very much for taking a chance on this podcast. I hope you find value in it and I hope you come back to listen to future episodes. The whole idea behind my podcast series is to interview people from the world of education and beyond who strive for both personal and professional excellence in their life. It's been great with the, not the pandemic is not great or COVID is not great, but because of the pandemic, I've been obviously spending a lot more time at home and it's given me an opportunity to really start podcasting again. So I've been able to really uh, increase the number of episodes that I'm getting out there and It's given me a lot of uh, inspiration and motivation to really reach out to a lot of different people around the world to see if they want to be on my podcast. So with that, uh, I just want to share a little bit about today's guest. My guest today, her name is Miranda Rose. Miranda is the PYP coordinator at the American School of Warsaw. Uh, Miranda and I have been connected on social media for a number of years, But we didn't meet uh, in person until I think it was 2017 when I had um, run a weekend workshop there for physical education teachers in the Eastern European region. So that's where I had met Miranda for the first time. And it was very clear to see, although I had known Miranda from social media and we had interacted a number of times on social media, uh, Miranda and I really had a connection right from the start because I think our philosophy and what we value about education is very similar. So during that weekend workshop, Miranda was around for most of the time. She attended a number of the sessions. And as you will see in this episode, that she is a very passionate physical educator herself. And that is her background. um, And that was her background before moving into leadership and education. But I wanted to have Miranda on the show Um, because her school, the American School of Warsaw, is now face-to-face teaching and learning. Um, When COVID first struck, I think the end of February for them, um, they shut down. They were in distance learning for 13 straight weeks. So in this episode, we refer to the first round of distance learning being distance learning 1.0. At the Kaus School here in Saudi Arabia, we're in distance learning 2.0, really, and we're, we're learning from... both the mistakes and the successes, the failures and successes of uh, virtual learning uh, 1.0. And we're applying those to ensure that we do a better job at virtual learning the second time around before we move into a hybrid model. But for Miranda and her team, they jumped right into face-to-face teaching and learning. And uh, we read about their situation last week in our own leadership meeting and we discuss some of the strategies and approaches, health and safety approaches that that they're putting into place. So I thought it would be great to reach out to Miranda to have her on the show to really dig deeply into everything that they're do- doing in the current moment to keep students and staff um, safe, but also to get kids back on campus So it was a really interesting discussion, and what I really appreciated 
about um, Miranda's uh, kind of description of what's going on is that they really accessed all of their staff to be a part of the decision-making in regards to how they were going to reopen. So as she said, they put trust in the staff to come up with solutions. So they had uh, collective buy-in and collective ownership from the start. So Miranda speaks in depth about everything that's happening right now, but also the reality that it's still very uncertain for them and unpredictable, and it could change in a moment. So that's the reality of the situation there and the reality of the situation with many schools around the world. So uh, Miranda's a super insightful, calm, very mindful person, and I really enjoy my chats with her. So without further ado, let's jump right into my discussion with Miranda Rose. Okay, Miranda, it's great to have you on the show. I've been meaning to do this uh, for a while now to invite you on the show. So I really do want to welcome you and uh, very happy you took the time to come on my podcast. Thanks, Andy. And um, yeah, thanks for offering me this opportunity to pause and and reflect on what we've done at the American School of Warsaw, but also... um, Thanks to you and the people that you've brought on this podcast who have really influenced some of the decisions that we've made along the way. Um, Yeah, I take you for runs with me on this podcast. And so the diversity of voices, of course, I am a physical educator at heart. So I'm always interested in that too. But the, uh, the different voices and ideas and inspirations have really been instrumental in the work that I've been doing in the past few years. So thanks to you too. I, I appreciate that, Miranda, and I always say to people that my, my podcast is really a passion project of mine, and and I learn so much from my guests, and I, I stay so inspired to get better when I have these amazing people on the show, and, and in particular, I, I really think that understanding their personal narratives is really important to me because people's personal narratives shape them professionally. And so I always like to do that kind of background, um, kind of just to learn more about them and what makes them tick and what their philosophy is, and then um, to learn more about them. So that's what I want to do with you, actually. So we've known each other. So to set the context, so you and I have known each other for quite some time. Um, We met in person for the first time, I think it was 2018, yeah, was it 2018 or 2017? 2017, when I went to um, your school in Warsaw uh, to run a weekend workshop for PE mm-hmm. teachers in the region. And, and that's when I enlisted the support of some of my, um, my great you know, friends, teaching friends like Andy Dutton and Zach Smith and uh, brought Neela along. And it was so cool to run a workshop in that way, you know, so you know, to bring in these teachers that are doing amazing things and have them co-present along with me. So I I really enjoyed my time at your school. It's a beautiful school and so well set up. And um, so, yeah, so early days for you. Why don't you share a little bit about early days, where you're from and kind of anything you want people to know about you? Okay. Yeah. And, and that, um, that workshop that you did at our school was in our early implementation of the PYP. Um, the primary years program and and your team came and inspired RPE team, but also created a network for our team to be a part of. So um, the build that we've done since that time has has been thanks to you and your team as well in that that effort. So about me, I am from a small town north of Toronto in Ontario, and I grew up um, a pretty healthy and active childhood. Both my parents were educators and administrators in schools. Um, so I sort of come by that part of me naturally. Um, I was an athlete. I was a pretty successful competitive swimmer, but I moonlighted um, as a basketball player, soccer player, downhill ski racer who could fill in a relay team a running relay or join a cross country team. If you needed an extra, probably to the dismay of my swim coaches, mm. uh, for sure. But, uh, I was, that was a big part of my life and my family's life. Um, I swam in college. I went to Queens university and I studied physical education and French. And then I went to the university of Western Ontario 
where I started my um, journey in Ultimate Frisbee, actually. Um, and so those that's sort of where I've come from. Um, my family, I have a younger brother who is a, an Olympic athlete. He was a swimmer for Canada. And I had an older sister who um, passed away of spina bifida. Um, so my, the range in my family in terms of physical act abilities was quite diverse. Um, but yeah, that's sort of who I am and where I've come from. And, um, when I was at Western, I went to a workshop and it was about international teaching. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I had lots of interests. I'm sort of an insatiable learner. Um, and when something is interesting to me, I will find my way to learn more about it. I did not know, um, where I wanted to go, what I wanted to be, but teaching was a pretty safe bet. And to be able to do it somewhere else also sounded pretty enticing to me. Um, I went to this presentation and the faculty member had been in South America and he said, you know, teaching overseas isn't for everyone, but if you have a sense of humor and you um, are flexible and you are ready to work harder than you've ever worked in your life before, it's for you. Um, and I sort of checked those boxes. I had been a camp kid. I had gone to a girls camp, a swim camp my whole, my whole life. I mean, all my teenage years and had built a lot of things on the fly with strong teams of people and thought, okay, this is my next, my next stop somewhere out there. And I ended up in Thailand at the Prem Center. Oh, and that's, then, that's cool. Uh, yeah. And it was the, the <coughs> years of that school. And I was, sort of like now, imposter syndrome. I was this young, brand new teacher um, with these incredible teachers who had been sort of handpicked to build this school um, as a center for the IB. Um, and I then moved, I moved back to Canada for two years, uh, for one year to study because I had so many questions about inquiry-based learning and I knew it fit with me and I knew it was right. Um, but to do it in PE and to do it in French, which are pretty didactic usually. Mm -hmm. Um, I went back to the university of Victoria and had a great supervisor there who, um, led me through my masters. And then that was boring because Canada was boring compared yeah. to Thailand yeah. when I got back. Um, I loved my time there. Don't get me wrong. Um, but then I ended up in the middle East in the Emirates and, um, and then Ghana, and then Delhi, and now Warsaw, and this is five years wow. now in Warsaw. Yeah, so it's been quite a trip to be where I am today, for sure. And you know our director, Michelle Remington. Yes, um, <laughs> Michelle and I met at a Frisbee tournament in Dubai, um, and she was playing on the Abu Dhabi team. And I was living in Abu Dhabi, but one of my criteria for schools overseas had been there has to be some type of Frisbee community. Um, and I knew of a community in Dubai through friends from, from college. And so I had traveled to Dubai to play on this Dubai team and then met Michelle, who was playing for Abu Dhabi team. And I happened to be living in Abu Dhabi. And so I ended up joining the American Community Schools community Frisbee group. Um, and then Michelle worked with, um, my husband who I was not my husband at the time, but he worked at the school there. So, and he was playing Frisbee too. So that is that happily ever after. And Michelle has a, a part to play in that for sure. Yeah. She, she has done a wonderful job at our school. And, um, you know, when she came into the school, just her, her personality and her way to connect with people, uh, made a huge difference you know, and, and really authentically interested in connecting with others. And there's some educational leaders that kind of know they have to check the box of connecting, but it's not one of their strengths and you can feel it. But with Michelle, you, you really feel there's a lot of authenticity there. And she takes the time to have, have you know, deep conversations with, with her colleagues. So you don't feel from Michelle you know I've got a lot of respect for her as a leader but you you don't feel you just feel like she's a colleague you know okay. and she has such a great way of communicating and and uh so it's it's been really nice having her at the school absolutely please send her my regards too yeah. I know my husband loved working with her and it was the same thing she would show up to um 
to rehearsals or she would show up to support him as a new teacher um, that she had hired. And, and certainly she's a, a good friend to ours too, of ours too. Yeah. So um, yeah, diving into like just some questions. So what, what town in uh, Ontario were you from? Lindsay, Ontario. Okay. Uh, Lindsay. Okay. And yeah, that's, that's one of the, the things uh, about our connection is I, I know you have that PE background plus your interest in inquiry. So a lot of these ideas around agency and ownership and inquiry and, you know, differentiation are things that you place a lot of value on, you know, and in my short time at your school, those were some of the conversations that were, were guiding us and, and leading us in, in the work that we were doing with the, the teachers there. But um, so you've been at Warsaw since, since when? 2006 this is our fifth year okay so so 2020 doesn't really exist in my mind at the moment to be honest with you it's sort of like a blur yeah Um, yeah 2016 I guess right yeah so one of the things one of the reasons why I I wanted to have you on the show is I've had a number of school directors on and and leaders in education to kind of share what their school has gone through in this um, very uncertain time. And the, the series is called In Times of Uncertainty. So I wanted to have you on because you've actually met up with our principal, Jeff Woodcock and, and Kai, to have some conversations. And we looked at some of the work that um, your school is doing in regards to face-to-face uh, teaching and learning. And we used that to guide some discussions that we had on our leadership team last week. So I thought, what a great opportunity to hear it directly from you. So what I want to start with is when COVID first struck, you know, like, I guess we kind of heard that, you know, well, obviously it started in China, then it kind of spread to Italy. And then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden started getting closer and you're like, oh, geez, is it really going to come this far? And then boom, you know, but just talk about your school's kind of first experience with it and what that was like and kind of what kind, uh, what I guess, um, what conversations took place right away and what the plans were. So go ahead and just share anything you want there. Yeah, so going back to February, we had just had ski break the end of February or sort of winter break. And uh, we came back on that Monday morning and sort of the reality of a lot of our families had been in Italy over break. Um, and our teachers too, who were now asked to quarantine. Um, so we sort of had a jump start on that due to our vacation. Um, it still seemed far enough away, but the foresight of our leadership was we need to be ready because this is coming. Um, and whether it comes and we close for a little while or whether it comes and we close for the rest of the year, those conversations were on the table at that point. So the first weeks in March, um, I was working with Jen Munnerlin as the elementary school principal. And I, we have another PYP coordinator, um, Charlotte Chestnut, who works with upper elementary at the moment. Um, but we sort of got together and thought, okay, how do we, um, how do we lead through this? Um, for our teachers, knowing that there's so much uncertainty around. And we pulled in our tech coaches and we already had a a good working team with our tech coaches, the coordinators, our instructional coach and our librarian who were sort of system thinkers in a lot of ways. And so we came together and and had a rollout plan to, ironically, uh, uh, trial school closure day. We were going to have it on March 21st. So you were face-to-face at this point? We were face-to-face, yeah. And so we were going to roll out for two weeks and get ourselves ready in the case that we were going to go into virtual learning. So we started prototyping ideas of how we would use existing platforms, Seesaw, Flipgrid, um, how we would include single subjects and languages, how we would sustain this, how we would go slow enough. Um, We had a pretty clear plan in every kid in the elementary school will practice one seesaw activity independently on these three days. We will practice a virtual meeting through Google Meets. We will have a school closure day where everybody tries at home. Unfortunately, um, the Wednesday before our practice day, the government announced the lockdown mm. or school 
closures. And so we were then, you can imagine this team of tech coaches and counselors pulling um, cords and iPads out of iPad carts. We have one-to-one devices. So we were ready um, from grade one to five, but they had never gone home. And so that whole piece of how do we get these in the hands of kids? How do we get what they need um, to go home with them in the matter of three or four hours? Um, one of our tech coaches in that moment, and I remember it so clearly, and I will always probably remember it, said as we were sort of fretting um, and completely overwhelmed and, and um, worried about every piece of this puzzle, he said, um, Mike Nanato, he said, we're ready for this. We have so much in place. This is our chance to reimagine and, and do this well. And uh, he, that sort of has carried us as a team through. Um, he was able to just shift with that one piece of enthusiasm or we can do this together. We have enough in place. And it was that moment where we were like, okay, yeah, we have been working towards this with our teams and with our devices and with our unit planning and our um, ability to pivot in response to kids. So then we closed and we rolled out pretty systematically um, and really slowly from that day, um, a virtual learning program. Um, and by slowly, I mean, we started with homeroom teachers. We focused on connection. Um, activities were simple and they were really activities. They weren't open-ended tasks and they weren't, um, sort of high leverage learning engagements, but we got to that point. Um, really, we were in survival mode. And as people built their capacity to navigate Seesaw and Flipgrid and Zoom, we added more pieces to that puzzle. It might've been slow for some people, too slow, and too slow for some families. It might've been too fast um, for other families, but we really went slow to go fast later and, and make sure we were holding up the people that were doing the work around us. Um, yeah. And then we were 13 weeks in, in virtual learning at that point, our board had the foresight to decide to, instead of go on an April or first week of May vacation, they spread that vacation out. So we had a few three, three day weekends instead of having a long vacation where no one could travel. Um, and then we co- we finished school a little bit early, the beginning of June as opposed to later in June, which was, which was um, really great thinking uh, and really great responsiveness on their part. So we were pretty successful for the most part. I got to experience it as a parent. Um, and I give so much credit to our teachers and what they offered our kids in terms of being connected and in spite of the chaos around them or the, we had police coming down the streets in Polish. I don't speak Polish, but my kids do saying, be in your house, stay in your home, stay in your home. That could be scary. Um, I mean, it was scary, but the familiarity and the consistency of the teachers showing up and engaging my six-year-old in exciting learning that met his needs really global pandemic. He was like, yeah, I get to be at home on an iPad. This is cool. Mom and dad are home too. And, um, Miss Paige and Miss Kasha are showing up in my house every day. I mean, for him, it was different, but, but they showed up for him. And I have so much gratitude for the work our teachers did as a parent, but also as a leader, because they did keep showing up. Um, and we did keep layering things on, special events, um, assemblies, um, maker week, earth week, spirit week, you know, by that point we were really trying hard to keep our kids engaged in learning. Yeah. And when I think of each, each school, so well, it's very similar stories, but very unique based on their own context. And I had the director of Chadwick international school, Ted Hill on and the way he described it was like everybody jumped into the deep end together and those that couldn't swim just grabbed onto somebody that could, you know? So if you were doggy paddling, you just kind of doggy paddled over to somebody that could, that could, you know, keep you safe and to be there for you and to support you. And, and so they really leaned on one another. And it sounds like your school did the same thing. You leaned on one another 
and there was a, a tremendous sense of um, collegiality and support during this time. And that's the one thing about engaging activities online. So, you know, our situation now is, so we were uh, distance learning from about mid-March, uh, right till the end of the year. And then we were gonna go face to face, but then the Saudi government uh, said distance learning for seven weeks. So we're still in distance learning, but we're gonna go to a hybrid model. So it's kind of like distance learning right now is really distance learning 2.0. Right. So we've, we've, you know, we were, we were through it the first time. What have we learned and what are we doing? And I said before recording that I'm gonna be teaching this year. I'm teaching eight classes. So I, I'm already starting to think of how I can really deeply engage kids in their learning to allow them um, some autonomy and choice to be um, to give timely feedback and my whole thing is yeah it's feedback on seesaw is great but that doesn't feel like real feedback so it needs to be that live feedback so what will that look like and if you have 24 kids on the screen so it's permission to fail try things out if it doesn't work then just switch gears try something else but the most important thing is that there is a genuine effort to connect with kids and to try to give them feedback and, and to make it as worthwhile as possible and to be solutions focused instead of looking at this as like, oh, what's the point? You know, it's just, it's just impossible. Um, there's a million things that you could say uh, aren't working through distance learning, but let's flip it and say, what are the opportunities and how can we make this work, you know? So talk about that experience um, with your, your school, like last year with distance learning and how did the teachers really strive to make learning meaningful and what were they learning about themselves and, and how to, how to uh, tackle learning a little differently? Well, I think... Um I think that idea of connection was already something that we had emphasized in our work. Um, the, the focus on relationships that we have, have done between our teams, but also in terms of some of the structures that are non-negotiables at our school, like community building time, morning meetings every day, the, the approaches to learning in the PYP that are about management and um, empowering understanding of your social emotional state. Um, so a lot of those things we had as a foundation, I think growing into not being at the table with learners was hard. Um, and it was hard to not have the responses, like you say, from the kids. Um, it was hard to not know if they're reading your feedback or listening to your feedback in Seesaw. Um, we had been really building a culture of responsive planning. Um, and that, that, that was a missing piece. Um, but our, our goal was to connect with kids and to, um, make sure they felt seen and to, um, to carry on learning the best that we could, that was good enough for now, but you know, teachers always want to do it better. Um, and so we got to a point where they were working in small groups and they were pulling out specific differentiated activities for kids using the resources of the team. And so while, um, a teacher has their own class. We have teaching assistants with each class. And what we had done and had been working on is that kids didn't belong to a teacher. They were part of the grade level and all of their teachers were their teachers. And so awesome. we were really able to tap into, well, today one teacher is maybe going to do the math lesson and you can come if this is what you need. Um, today, this teacher is going to do the morning message or the morning meeting. This teaching assistant is going to do her style of end of day message. Um, and so I think teams were able to reflect on the work that we had done as teams, but they are also able to really um, meet the needs of all the learners in a particular grade level. Kind of, um, kind of that. I, so I don't want to interrupt, but I, what I'm hearing is this idea of like op, uh, open walls, you know? Yeah. So literally like when you go into a school, like we have what's called the LMX here, it's just kind of an extension building for grade four and five 
beautiful building, glass walls that can open up. And it's this idea of open walls, you know, and creating this really uh, inclusive learning community. I love that. I haven't heard of that. So what you're, what you're saying, just if I want to make sure that I have uh, summarize this accurately. So what you're saying was there was a, a homeroom teacher responsible for a class, yet really what was happening was all of the students could go to any teacher for support rather than just their homeroom teacher. At different times. At and different, at different times. Time. Yeah, yeah. So their, their person was really their own teacher and their own teaching assistant. But as a grade level, they were planning. I mean, our afternoons were spent planning homeroom teams um, for what the activities were. And so one teacher could plan the activities for that grade level, or there might be a, a group with some different needs and one teacher might take that group or work with that group. So yeah, there was some um, open doors in a sense. We have, a, we have an open doors approach um, in that we have periods during the week where kids can choose um, which class to be in and, and we offer different activities in those classes and we have, you know, an open studio and that might be a time where you go to studio. We have an open doors approach in the early years actually for, um, and this is brilliant and we're grieving it a little bit right now because we're limited <laughs> to not do it, but kids choose whether they want to go to PE or music or art awesome. or then uh, the workshop, um, in a, in an hour of time and the, all the teachers show up and we have a sign up sheet in the morning. These are the people who are showing up um, because we've done so much work around relationships. These are the people. If this is your PE person today, you know, I'm going to choose that person. And then we do some, um, some good monitoring to afford kids the chances to be, to expose themselves to different things. So really Miranda, what, what does that look like when, so you talk in early years, right? Yeah, yeah. So if, if a kid, can a kid choose to go to only PE and not music throughout the whole term? So our intention is that they are balanced in their choices and the teachers will encourage them at different moments. However, if they really feel comfortable going to the art studio on the days that the art studio is open, you know, we're, we got to follow their lead and honor that awesome. choice for them. Yeah. Um, and parents, we, we probably made the mistake of not doing enough parent education. It's different, but we believe in kids and they, they knew it and they knew how to make informed choices and they had a plan for what their days would look like. Um, so that's that when we got into virtual school was tricky because, um, they didn't really have the choice anymore, but they had the relationships with these people. And so we offered sort of daily connections, um, which weren't live for our early years kids, but um, our single subject team and our language team shared sort of an afternoon slot where they pushed out um, ideas of activities or um, small videos to connect with all those kids. Um, but that's something that we would improve in virtual 2.0 is how could kids really choose to go in the zoom that they want to with the person that they have a relationship with. And that's going to be meaningful on that day to them. Um, well, that's, that's such a great story and, and such a, um, wonderful example of, of what's possible when good educators come together to create a vision and to roll that vision out, you know, and, and I would love to, you know, as, as important as I think balance is, of course, you know, we want to balance visual arts, music, and PE. If you truly have a student that heavily gravitates towards music, then we really need to honor that. And, and it's not like it's that fine line where you don't want to force them to go to PE and force them to go to visual arts if music is what matters to them. So hopefully they can understand the importance of balancing their time. But but really starting to offer those opportunities more to, to learners in, in schools, you know, to really honor where they're at. Um, so when, when we project forward now, so that what you ended the year early and then, and then you started off this year with face-to-face. -face? Yeah. Okay. And that's what I'm really keen to learn more about. And as I said, we did a bunch of reading and, and um, we saw a lot of the things happening. So, Let's first talk about um, just some of the, the, the basic structure for face-to-face -face now. 
um, in regards to health and safety. Um, so just kind of share um, with the audience anything you want about that. So our um, senior leadership team and our director were working with an epidemiological consultant company. Um, and so they came in in the, in the spring and did an audit of the facility, basically to look at what we would need to do to open safely in August. And they made recommendations that um, range from touchless water fountains to um, bracelet IDs that are connected with a daily app that families fill out as a symptom tracker to um, cohort organization, to separating middle school, high school, elementary school, um, really big picture um, responses to, to coronavirus. Um, and we started learning about these in June and over the summer as our director was sharing these out. So a few things like mask wearing, um, in all indoor spaces, um, not mask wearing outdoors. Um, we were looking at, we were understanding from him the big picture health and safety pieces, the isolation rooms, where they were going to be on campus, um, some of the protocols to stop the virus from coming in. Um, and then the next layer was how do we protect our kids once they're in the building? And then, of course, they were working on the reaction piece as well. When we do have a case, which we do in the school, um, which we were going to have in the school, how will we respond and how will we be able to mitigate risk and that the virus is spreading within our school bubble? So we have a pretty comprehensive antigen testing plan. So each kid is tested weekly and as our staff. Um, and to get back into school in August, everybody had to have a, a negative COVID test. Um, and so that involves a, what we call a tickle test. Um, <laughs> and it doesn't tickle, but it doesn't hurt, but it is certainly not comfortable. Um, and it is a swab uh, up your nose. Um, and it's a, a very fast response time in that you have a result within, within 20 minutes and it's pooled testing. So if there is a positive test in a pool, they would retest that pool of kids or individuals. And then if there's a second positive test, then there would be parent contact isolation and then uh, follow up with a PCR test um, in the community or at the doctor. So those were some of the pieces that we were learning about over the summer um, to get ready to open safely. And that was really our goal. And one of the board's um, goals when they decided to end early was to give ourselves time to focus on um, getting ready for August as opposed to trying to open up in June as some of our Polish counterpart schools were doing. Um, I have to tell you that the summer was really hard for me personally to shut off from school and it had been so intense for so long but the unknowns were um were almost debilitating in some ways. My colleague, the principal that I worked with, was moving on. She's now in Madrid, um, facing her own opening uh, opening situation. And the PYP coordinator who I work with um, was on maternity leave. She had a baby in May. And so I felt really responsible for the operations of the elementary school and, and really responsible for the people who I knew had been working so hard and we're responding to the stress and challenges in so many different ways. Um, so I was processing everything under the sun all summer when, um, did you stay in I, Poland? No, we actually traveled. We got on an embassy flight and flew to Toronto, which was incredible for our family. We feel so fortunate. And then we just stayed at our, at, um, our place in, in Canada for that time. Okay. And it was the best thing for our kids and our family. And I could still be in it without being in it in a wow. lot of ways. Um, so we have a new principal in the elementary school. Who so Jen's Jen, gone. Jen's gone. Yep. She's moved on to Madrid. Okay. Uh, and so the unknown of how that would be, it's hard to come in as a new leader in, in the best of times. Um, 
I met, I met him when he was visiting the week in March where school closed. That's when he visited for his interview process, which add that to the week was a, was a very crazy week. Um, but we met him the end of July. He got in touch with this, um, this team of coaches that had really, um, sustain the school through virtual times, sustain the elementary school. Um, and we talked about all of the questions we had and all of the problems and, um, that we were foreseeing and he listened well. And he, you know, sort of said, this is the team to, to figure these things out. And we kind of said, no, um, we need to take this to our staff. We have enough capacity and understanding and enough trust in our faculty to, to really do some fast and furious design thinking and, and prototyping to open school safety safely. And I give him a lot of credit. Um, he listened and he's trusted us to say, we're going to hand all of these wicked situations or crazy problems that we face, which we were seeing as limitations in a lot of ways. How are we going to do this? Um, we decided we would ask people how they wanted to contribute when we got back. And um, we opened school with faculty on a Tuesday. We jumped into committee work with 12 different really big potential problems. Um, how will you find your way through this? And you kind of have until Thursday to come back to us and we're gonna go with whatever you decide. Um, I had collected over the summer a ton of resources from different schools and insights and ideas that I put together for people to review and look at. But really we um, divided up the staff and went to town to, to decide how we were going to get kids in the building. How were we going to organize the schedule to mitigate risk to staff? How were we going to um, facilitate outdoor play and learning in a safe way, knowing what our parameters were? And it was little details like where are kids going to put their masks when they go outside, which we've never had to think of before. Um, but because we had a focused team really looking at and playing through the different perspectives and what might happen in that case, we were able to identify a lot of those pieces in a really short amount of time and then roll with those. Um, and I don't know if I would do that differently. I think I would I would do the same thing in terms of committees being responsible to figure out how to open it safely. We've been able to revise and review and um, get feedback on all of those systems. We've also been able to use all of those committee recommendations in the last four weeks. So we've been open for four weeks now um, and knock on wood, we are still open on Monday. Um, so but what's, yeah. the, what's the, the max class size in elementary? So um, our largest class is 22 kids. And oh, so we are 22 kids in a class. Yeah. So we've got full kids in the class now um, with masks on. And then we have this, um, this sort of stop layer of the testing before kids get in. Um, so we have full kids in the class. We have um, outdoor play without masks on. We have PE without masks on. We, um, we split our single subject teachers and our language teachers. So they are not crossing the whole elementary school cohort. We have some dedicated to the early years up to grade two and some up to three to five. We have um, looked at facility use and um, limited the different grade levels who are going through the library on a particular day or the swimming pool. Um, is there distancing? There's an attempt at distancing in the classrooms. Um, and then kids are kids uh, in a way. And we were quite clear that we didn't want it to be stressful for kids. We would remind them to be um, helpful and safe in their practices. Um, and we're all doing the best that we can, but we did not want anxiety about um, beyond be mindful of your space, be mindful of your bubble. Um, but we also didn't want our teachers to spend all day policing distancing in the classroom. Um, we have had positive cases in the school. Mm -hmm. um, we have had five now in the first four weeks and we have had to close the middle school for a 
five days, I believe, um, because there were multiple cases in a particular grade level. And once we were able to do contact tracing and look at this, um, that was the best decision or the best reaction. We had a sibling of one of the cases in seventh grade who was asymptomatic in third grade. And so we closed the third grade cohort for a day. They all came in and got retested. Um, and then they were able to come back to school the following day. So we have a crisis team that's looking at each case with a very complex flowchart um, because we get buses involved. And yes, we did have one case that had three siblings, a ninth grader, a fifth grader, and a first grader. So that kind of spans the, the K to 12 gamut. And um, we had one case that was on a bus. And so that takes out that bus for a day and all those kids come in and be um, tested. And we have a, a, a more recent case this week, which was um, found through our testing protocol. Um, and then the reaction was we retest that whole cohort, but they didn't, they didn't close it down at that point either. So we're trying to figure out how to continue learning um, for the kids who are in the building and then and react appropriately when, once we have found a case and limit the spread in the school. We have some families who have opted to be hybrid in that they are at home. Um, and for whatever reason, whether they are high risk or their families aren't comfortable or, or they have some issue with some of the protocols and procedures we have. Um, and so our teachers are trying to keep them connected um, and trying to be sure that when they do come back, they, they are part of and they have had a bridge back into the learning. We're at the point now where we're trying to figure out if these are going to be long-term families and we really need to um, change our initial approach to do the best you can to open up the computer and include them in community building time, offer some seesaw activities, do a small art Zoom with just the hybrid kids or the kids who are at home in a particular grade level. But we're going to have to review all of those pieces because um, it's, it's hard and it's a, it's a lot to ask our teachers when we really want them focused on the kids in their room. That's what they're trained to do. Um, but we also, there's an insurance policy to it, right? We are making sure we're prepared if we do have to close or partially close and still serve our families. How many cases in, in Warsaw right now? Do you know? Um, in Poland, we are on a daily basis. We're ranging between 500 and 700 um, in Poland. Yeah, that's what, that's what the numbers right now in Saudi are about seven to 800. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you hope that that's accurate. Like we have nobody knows, <laughs> but um, we have in the compound here, I think there's 70 um, cases was from, from March you know, not right now, 70 cases, but um, so, yeah, these are all things that we're really thinking about. What does lunch look like? Cause I know that's, I sent you some messages during our leadership meeting last week going, I, I had some questions for you because we were talking about your school, but yeah. What does lunch look like? Lunch, we, the cafeteria is not in the elementary zone essentially. So we do not have access to the cafeteria physically where all, all students used to eat. So lunch is in the classrooms. Um, it's delivered from the cafeteria or it's home lunch. Um, it is without masks and kids are distant. So you walk into a classroom, you'll see kids as far apart as they can be with a surface to eat on. Um, and that, you know, that was another big hairy situation of how do we get food to all these kids within this amount of time so they can all be out on the playground in grade level cohorts too. Um, because that is one of the things also, they only play with kids who are in their grade level. So that's how we could close a particular grade level if we needed to. We had really limited the risk by grade So level. anybody across the grade level they can play with. Mm -hmm. outside without a mask on yeah okay. there's a few times in the day when like the beginning of the day they go out to the playground upon arrival they all have masks on because there's multiple grade levels out on the playground and then we bring them into the school in this sort of specific um specific route that doesn't cross paths with a whole other grade level um and then at the end of the day at dismissal Kids come all out the front door and um, they all have masks on and parents have masks on for pickup at that point too. But the parents aren't allowed in the school, right? 
They're not allowed in the school. Um, we have an exception for early years parents that they can bring their kids onto the playground and help settle their kids. Um, but they all have masks on at that point too. And um, what's teacher anxiety like? Because I, I know in, in our school, obviously, not just our school, but so many schools, yeah. you know, teachers really want to be back to face to face. But there's also that underlying kind of undercurrent of anxiety and, and what if I get it and, you know, kind of thing. But um, I guess so what what is teacher anxiety like and how is um, the leadership team stepping up to provide the support that they need? Teacher anxiety is all over the map. You know, we have um, different cultural backgrounds. We have different experiences. We have different connections to the virus. Um, we are operating in, in a bit of a bubble at our school. Polish schools opened up and they don't have nearly the um, protections in place. And so a lot of our, our local teachers felt really grateful to to be back at school and to be in our particular school um, we have listened to anxieties we have done the best we can to mitigate risk um, the leadership team and John Zerflu have done a great job of bringing in the doctor who's been um, sort of in charge of our consultancies to answer questions for faculty and for families. Um, we, one of our big hairy questions and one of our committees was about faculty wellness. And so how do we create the time and space to breathe and, and make sure we are taking care of ourselves? Um, that's an ongoing question, right? And, and, a it hits at different moments. And I think the leadership stance is we need to listen with grace and, and recognize the different perspectives in this moment um, and really consider this a moment that we've been preparing for because we've seen people and we've gotten to know people and they trust us to tell us, I am overwhelmed today or I can't do this right now or... Um, this is okay. I will get through this or come and talk to me tomorrow and I'll be ready to hear what I need to hear next. Um, but yeah, I think the work that we've done with humans and to see humans and to recognize each other, um, with all of our wonderful pieces, vulnerabilities, stresses, anxieties, needs, um, that has allowed us to have a culture where, um, we can support each other through this. For the most part, people are grateful to have kids back and to be doing the work that they want to do. But there is this pins and needles piece, which I think, I think for me is certainly the hardest is we just don't know what's coming next. Um, and I am a strategizer. I will figure out the goalposts and try to, to plan with and plan for whatever the scenario is, but these goalposts keep moving. Um, and that's what I feel is, is taxing on people um, and taxing on us as leaders to continue to show up and, and have grace and, and be resilient when those reserves are, are being tapped into a lot. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And that's at our school where Michelle was um, really supportive with uh, understanding that teachers might not be in a great place returning to school right now. So even though it's distance learning, um, teachers did, did not have to be in the school, but mm -hmm. she encouraged teachers to go to school because it, it'll just help you get used to being in school, especially once the kids start coming in. But starting tomorrow, um, it's going to be at least four hours a day. Every teacher has to be on campus and then they can go home for, for four hours and work from home. So it's a nice little segue into, you know, getting spending more time in school, which is important. But it's nice to have teachers in the school. They're in their classrooms, so they're running their lessons from the classroom, but they can still be at home. So that's been really nice. And, you know, most of the teachers have come in, and but there, there wasn't pressure to come in if you weren't ready. Um, so tomorrow, yeah, we have to be in half the time, but that's that's reasonable, I think, and that's a nice you know, nice starting point for everybody, um, uh, moving forward. So, um, so during this time, so just in segueing into the, uh, the close of the show, what I, what I like is to just ask, um, my guests what has kind of kept them inspired 
during this time. So yeah, what has kept you inspired? Oh, my family, you know, the time that I actually have had in this span of six months to be with, I have a five-year-old daughter and a seven-year-old son, and um, they have certainly kept me inspired. I have a an amazing support network of professionals, um, around the world and, um, and being able to know that we were all in this together. If we were, you were in India or you were in Luanda or you were, you know, stuck in your, who knows where really yeah, people, yeah. um, we were all going through this together and that there's a collective piece there that ha- is unprecedented really, you know, um, Swimming, being able to have an outlet. Um, our pool was open during lockdown, awesome. just in case we reopened. So um, I was able to do that um, and, and stay with that. I think a few people, Fran Prolman and her work in rebuilding community and connections has inspired me and, and carried me, and she's helped coach me through this. And then um, Will Richardson and Homa Tavangar have really their big questions Institute have challenged my thinking and, and inspired me to really look at this as, um, as a portal, you know, the pandemic, what are you going to take through this portal? Um, how are you going to travel lightly and how are you going to let go of some things? Um, and how are you going to move through it and look for the opportunities? I think and those have been, have been really big parts of my work in the last two months to get ready for, for whatever it is that, that is coming. Um, yeah. What about your leadership focus and moving forward? Like, you know, you, you know, our, our structure here, I think I talked to you about the idea of the professional inquiries that we have at our school and, um, but in terms of your own leadership, what are you curious about this year and what do you want to know more about and uh, better develop? So for for us as a school, um, we are in a place as a school, whether we were in a pandemic or not, um, where I believe that teacher agency is more important than ever. We had to do a lot of facilitated work to implement the PYP and have a cohort of people who had enough knowledge to move us through and beyond initial implementation. Um, our plan is to move to professional inquiry groups, um, like I've done in the past where we do have, um, well-being, everything from small math groups, whatever would normally be on our, our, our table as options for teachers connected to their professional goals. I think we need to honor that now more than ever. There are people who want professional development and coaching around, technology. There are people who want to stop and really dive into mindfulness. There are people who want to keep pursuing concept-based inquiry or mathematical thinking. Um, And so I think our goal as a leadership team is to support that um, with the structures of inquiry and connected to professional goals. Overall, staff well-being and student wellness are our main, main concerns I personally, um, I have been growing a lot in my understanding of outdoor play and learning and the importance of play outdoors um, with big loose parts and honoring the different play types. So I like to continue to pursue that. And I'm really interested in neuroleadership and the the information that is growing um, about how the brain works and how Mm. we can work with our adults and our kids. I think it's fascinating that we have been in education for so long without really understanding the motivations of the brain and how it, how neurons fire and what makes you um, choose the the reactions that you choose. So that's what I'd like to move into a little bit more. Um, Yeah. And then I'll continue my journey supporting the IB and their developments and, and the evolution of the PYP. Awesome. So, so great to hear everything that you're doing. Um, and it's been really nice kind of staying in touch with you over the years. Um, where can people find you on social media? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I am on Twitter and I, my Twitter handle. Are you ML Rose 14? Yes, that's good. Thank you for knowing that. 
and Melrose 14. I'm going to check right now, but uh, I'm surprised I remembered that actually. But um, yeah, Miranda Lynn Rose, um, ML Rose 14, uh, which was an old yeah, soccer ML player. Rose 14 at uh, Twitter. Um, so, and, and I really want to encourage if, if there are teachers or leaders out there that, that want to connect with you, um, I would really encourage them to, you know, follow you on Twitter, but to also reach out to you um, by email, maybe, if they have questions, would that be okay? Yeah. And will you put that information somewhere? Or? Yeah. What's, what's your email address? Um, M Rose, all underscore uh, lowercase letters at um, aswarsaw.org. Okay, great. Yeah, that'll go in the show notes for sure, along with your uh, Twitter handle. So, Miranda, it's been great talking to you. And I know that we're going to continue these discussions. We're always kind of like talking a little bit here and there. So we'll keep our, our dialogue going. But um, yeah, thank you very much for taking the time today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So I'm just going to close off the show. So everybody, thank you very much for listening to this episode with Miranda Rose. And I hope you come back to listen to future episodes. Andy Vasily.